Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Alvin Wilson of Lauderdale Lakes, Florida. Alvin will get a marathon decal showing he watched 26.2 hours of his favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Dan Wilbur, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today, we're looking at Criminal Intent Season 5, Episode 1, Grow. I thought you'd slither back into a crevice rather than face another trial. Here I am in the daylight, adhering to the conditions of my bail like a good girl. I don't get the title. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll tell you later. <laughs> Joining me to do that is true crime author, the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting Podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, Kevin. How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good because we have a very special guest. We it's, really do. It's comedian and author Dan Wilbur. Hi, Dan. Hello. Good to be here. You had a podcast one time called Supermarket Talk Talk? Oh, yes, I did. What was that about? I noticed that my supermarket down the street uh, had started a podcast. They, I was on their email list uh, because, of <laughs> course, I sign up for whatever they tell me to. They're like, do you want some deals? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's, a, there's a, personalized, a personalized circular, all this stuff. And uh, one morning they just sent out, hey, we've got a podcast now. And it was these guys <laughs> talking for an hour about what's on sale at the grocery store, like what's really good. And there's, it's so endearing. Like if you're ever depressed and you just want to hear two guys just talk about like, we got hot dog buns, two for $4. Like you will feel good. And so I listened to it. The first episode of their podcast was maybe nine minutes. And then yeah. my friend Robert Dean and I, we recorded an hour and a half of us talking about <laughs> the first nine minutes because there was so much to unpack, you know? Dan, you're a, so. a criminal intent fan. Yes. Um, so first of all, do the reruns stand up to the way the other ones have stood up all these years question. later? <laughs> oh, you're saying like when I looked back at this episode in particular, was I like, oh, this is still pretty topical? This is, yeah, well, this is prescient. Know <laughs> you know what's good about Criminal Intent is that it's not as ripped from the headlines. And I don't want to insult the original recipe, but sometimes you're watching an original Law and & Order and it slowly dawns on you that you're like, oh, right, this is that story from four years ago. I remember. <laughs> and Criminal Intent is much more about the complicated ways that someone can get murdered. And the complicated ways that Goran has to figure them out. 
I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it's the most like Sherlock, and that's why I like it, because Goran's the most like Sherlock. And the show really is about Vincent D'Onofrio and his character, the way he plays it, because it seems to be the thing that when we talk to people, it's either they get the character or they don't, and that's the the whole thing. What the fuck is he doing? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, like, there's always something fun in Law and Order that seems arbitrary that I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but like Sam Waterston shows up with a motorcycle helmet sometimes, <laughs> or like they mention how much he loves The Clash, but it just never comes up ever again. Yeah. And Goran's different in that everything that he, his backstory keeps coming back up. So you have a little bit to follow and cling to. Specifically that he studied Mandarin that we're going to talk about that he like pulls up a Thai Buddha on a keychain and he's like, you know, I've seen this Thai Buddha. Yeah, in real life, whatever it is. It's true. So he knows it. everything about everything. So we're talking about Goran being smart in the way that Sherlock is smart. And it's that Goran doesn't have a lot of unnecessary information. He just happens to know quirky things that come in handy. And that's mm-hmm. very Sherlock-y. So the fact that he studied Mandarin, the fact that he spent time in Asia always pops up in the episodes. So there's like a through line of why Detective Goran is good at what he does that in the other law and orders is sort of like wouldn't it be weird if one of these da's like used to be a stripper in college (laughs) or something and you go oh that's that's very interesting and i'm sure we'll come up again and then five seasons later you're like hey they never came up i guess they just used to strip for money Hey, Dan, of yeah. all the franchises, then, can you tell us which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Oh, yeah. That would be Monk and Finn. Monk? You mean Munch? <laughs> I mean, uh, Munch. Monk. <laughs> I've only You're seen it spelled. I've only read yeah. the. I've only read the, <laughs> I knew it was Munch. Dang it. Uh, Belzer. Belzer and Ice T. That's what I should have said. I let it stand, though, that I also saw a couple episodes of Monk, and that was... <laughs> With Tony Shalhoub, It's yes, because so it, it's my pretentious, my pretentious college education. I saw the word Monk. I was trying to remember Belzer's name on the show, and I saw Munch, and I was like, oh, like Monk, like the painter. And then I just kept it in my brain and was like, I'm all set for this podcast. Whoops. So, Dan, do you have a, a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Well, I love Waterston, and uh, unfortunately, because of the patriarchy, there's a bunch of women who were also great, and I could not tell you any of their <laughs> names. And I feel really embarrassed. I could. It's just always like, old man, beautiful woman. <laughs> uh, Nothing to see here. Which is just perfect for TV. Well, let me tell you, you have negated the patriarchy by acknowledging the patriarchy. So kudos to you, Dan. I'm very impressed with that. I did it. Nice job. Finally. Nice job mansplaining that to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me tell you something about TV. How it works. (laughs) Little lady. (laughs) Do you guys have a favorite judge? That's the really hard one. Oh, God. A favorite judge. All the, I mean, occasionally there'll be one that, I love when Maria from Sesame Street pops up as a yeah. judge. That's always really fun. Because you think like, she'll go easy on you. Because I'm like, that's Maria from Sesame Street. Oh, wait, she's also a judge. I feel like I have to pay extra attention. Yeah. This sentence is brought to you by the number 20, which is how many years you're going to be serving. <laughs> 
Okay, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. We start at the cemetery where little Gwen is talking to Dirt Nap Mommy. <laughs> Daddy and Uncle Larry don't seem all that upset. Larry is a city health inspector with a monkey on his back. He visits the projects at night only to go missing. The major crime unit shows up, and by sniffing an envelope, <laughs> Goran determines that Larry had a handgun with him. Back at the squad room, Deacons welcomes the new guy. Hey, it's Mike Logan, returning from exile and ready to sit at the wobbly desk and investigate what snacks were in the vending machine. Hint, Mike, since you've been gone, they've created pretzel M&Ms. <laughs> now, Larry's found dead in the elevator, and the track marks in his arm reveal he's been a junkie for a long time. They bring in a parolee for questioning because, well, just because. Yeah. Logan chats him up, and the guy says he found a needle near the elevator, but one that was far too small for heroin. So while examining Larry's body, Gorin, who has no formal medical training we're aware of, <laughs> starts groping the corpse and instructs the medical examiner to open his mouth. His tongue is in the way. Right there. Pull. Uh -huh. Okay. The dime-sized bruise under his tongue. It's a needle mark. Somebody injected him with something that didn't show up on the talk screen. Maybe that's what caused the heart attack? They think Larry was injected with potassium chloride to induce a heart attack. Again, without any medical test whatsoever. <laughs> Gorn and Eames questioned so the brother, who is also a medical examiner, Dr. Evan Chappell, admits that he and his brother used to do smack together. But Gorn is suspicious of the person who committed the crime of giving little Gwen a book about coping with the death of a relative. <laughs> so on a hunch, they go to the library... <laughs> where they learn that the new librarian is a blonde with an accent. So, of course, <laughs> Gorn knows it's his arch nemesis, Nicole Wallace. Immediately. They find her in the library's, obviously, fantasy section, where she happily offers to be arrested. The only note, but that the first thing that happens in that graveyard is that one of the characters says, well, Nothing's carved in stone. Right after they were just staring at a gravestone. Yeah, and I just I'm think actually, that's that's a great piece of writing. The poor little kid Gwen in the graveyard, like humble bragging to her mom. That was a weird way to open this episode, right? It was, she was just like, and mom, I won the whatever she said. You can cut in the audio here, but it's like I won the spelling bee, and Martha came in second place. You really think dead mom gives a shit like what place you came in and spelling? She's like, well, you know what, Gwen? I'm dead. I'm just That's lying yeah. here. Thanks for yeah. coming and telling me your big news. I'm dead. D-E-D. -E <laughs> yeah. And it, and she and she and her ghost comes out of the grave just like, avenge me. And she's like, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to spell avenge. What's the country of origin? A-V-E. Does anyone have a better nose than Gorin does? Oh, my God. The fact uh, that, like, in the first two seconds we see him, he's sniffing something. <laughs> and then 30 <laughs> seconds later, he's literally feeling up a dead dude, like, groping his nipples. It's, like, <laughs> prototypical uh, Gorin, right? It's like it's like all he does is smell things, lick things, and touch things. That's, that's the detective yeah. thing that he does every time. There's a moment in this episode, because I was talking about how strong the character of Gorin is. Uh, but there was a moment where he figures something out because there's sugar somewhere. Sugar cravings, late night trips to the projects. Might be supporting a drug habit. It's one way to cope with a city job. The sugar, the sugar. Uh, they need the sugar for because they're 
meth heads. A drug or no, they're, they're heroin users. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, because like no one ever keeps sugar in their desk. But uh, the funniest part about it was I started laughing because I'm like all into the episode. And then he keeps mentioning sugar. And then all I can picture is him in Men in Black. In the Edgar suit? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> Vincent yes. D'Onofrio plays this, like, slack-skinned alien inside alien, a human yeah. body craving sugar. And I was like, how dare you judge these drug addicts <laughs> when you were drinking that sugar water Cast monster. the first stone, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that wasn't a really funny moment because it was... That was the typical, like, gore and leap of logic. So, Kevin, you're wearing, like, a blue checked shirt right now. Clearly, that means you grew up in Idaho, where this is the most popular kind of fact. I mean, he, he went on lots of picnics. Yeah, he's always making those, like, incredible leaps. Like, I have a candy jar on my desk that I just like. It's so that like, people can come over and, like, have a Kit Kat. It's really not a big deal, Gorin. Calm the fuck down. I'm not a drug addict. Yeah, I think that that's the weird thing about him being like Sherlock is that inductive reasoning you know, you'd pick up a candy bar and you'd have three or four different ideas of what it could be. And that's, <laughs> you're supposed one. to either, yeah, Goran just immediately skips the six steps that Sherlock would have to, where you'd, you'd be holding the candy bar and then you'd be like, oh, and it's half eaten. And then also there's this mark over here that shows that he passed out. He's either a diabetic or he does heroin. And then you get right. to like see the connections, but they don't have a lot of time. You know, it's only 45 minutes uh, of this TV show. So he's got to just jump like, oh, yeah, heroin. <laughs> we got to get right 100% to it. 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Now, it's, I think, the ultimate law and order crossover. 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 Mike Logan joins the cast of Criminal Intent 10 years after leaving Original Recipe. And so he's really come full circle in this first episode, Rebecca, because now he's essentially Profaci. Oh, Profaci. Oh, yeah. Not only that, but he's also, and I know that so many of our guests are like, Briscoe and Logan are my favorite detective team, right? Mm -hmm. But does this episode not just remind you that it was really Briscoe that you liked and Logan was basically just exposition <laughs> window dressing? Because he does not have the things that all the other detectives in this episode have. You know, if you have Goran with his like incredible leaps of logic, you have Eames with those incredible arms and her like random tank top <laughs> that she was wearing. And then you have this guy who eats M&Ms and chats up a perp. And you think it's going to be exciting, but it's really just him chatting up a perfect. You from the Taft houses? I used to do vertical patrols there when, way back when. Ride the elevators, check the roof. Are the Wilson brothers still running things there? Or are Buster Yates? Buster moved to Texas, but the rest, they either dead or locked up. Buster used to crack me up. Funny guy, right? I don't think it's. I don't think it does what the writers meant it to do. It's a little bit of a letdown. Now, Dan, it, of course, in, yeah. in, in this group, actually, Eames is actually the lead detective, and Gordon's the junior detective. But when you see Mike Logan used in the next three seasons of Criminal Intent as you know this lead detective in this role, comparing him to uh, you know the way we saw him back in the old school Law and Order, was he well used as a character? I I don't know. <laughs> uh, like this whole episode is to show that he's gonna replace Goran. Is that where it's like this an every going? other week thing? They did a weird thing where like every other week it was a Goran episode or a Logan yeah. episode. Yeah. 
I D'Onofrio frankly, was just busy. Yeah, I frankly just like skipped the. I mean, I didn't watch them because I, I really people loved the show because of the Goring yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I I don't yeah. remember exactly, but I remember it was very physically taxing on Vincent D'Onofrio, and I think right. that this was sort of uh, a nod to uh, help him with adjusting to the schedule. <laughs> you, you know, so essentially right. you only have to do Kevin. about half. Method is exhausting. Yeah. Method is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, he's he's constantly <laughs> smelling things and tilting his that's head. A lot of work. His neck started hurting. Something's bound to go the wrong way if you keep if you sniff stuff long enough. I want to know your thoughts on how they came to the conclusion that because potassium chloride is completely untraceable, that that's got to be what caused the heart attack. There's no evidence of anything. It must be that. It's the same way they came to the conclusion because the little girl had a book called Where Did Grandma Go? That she must (laughs) have a mentor that wasn't living in the house that may or may not be a nefarious librarian. That is a longer, more difficult leap to make than the potassium chloride leak. I'm just going to tell you, Kevin. Yeah. It's whether or not you believe in God, you know? Is, <laughs> is God real? Well, I believe he's real because I can't prove that he's anywhere and I can't prove that he does anything and therefore he exists. Thank you. QED, no questions. Please, no follow-up questions. Now, we have a Hey, It's That Guy. We do? Yep. Hey, it's that guy. Oh. Dan, can you name the actor who played Uncle Larry? <gasps> yes. Oh, no. Rebecca, he's... the name? I can't even picture what else he's in. I know his face. I can't name the actor, but I know what else he was in. That's Boris McGiver. He's in House of Cards. He's the editor of the newspaper who's become like the central oh. like detective in House of Cards. Right, Tom right? Hammerschmidt. Mr. Ramsford, bleach doesn't kill black mold. After closed, he cleaned it up. We just got three stars from the Times. It's our money review. I'd like to show it to you. I'm going to have to get tough with this guy. You wait in the car. Now, he has done six appearances in the Law & Order universe, and, a lot. including one as, quote, desk clerk. <laughs> so he goes, he goes way back. He goes way back. Uh, we just got three stars from the Times, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's three out of five stars. <laughs> it's not worth it's not worth the time to go back. It wasn't like it wasn't like three like Michelin stars, right? Right. It that's like, right. Oh. Yeah, that's what we were saying. Was Michelin star three star means the best, but the Times, I believe, it's a five star uh, thing. Yeah, I can't imagine the New York Times would be at that restaurant. Yeah, it looks like yeah, a bodega. Your black mold, my yeah. dude, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, the real reason we like this episode is because it's a Nicole Wallace episode, and I want to talk a yes. little more about their relationship, Wallace and Gorin. Dan, why do you think that fans like to see this recurring character? come back is it is it sort of like every superhero has to have the supervillain? and do they really like it yes <laughs> yeah do they really like it yes <laughs> well i don't know if they really like it but i for me she's irene adler she's the woman in sherlock that she is also a sociopathic her brain is constantly on yeah that's the perfect foil for gorin and also because she never i don't want to spoil anything but because she never gets caught that also makes her like Irene Adler. She's like this weird phantom that keeps showing up and just screwing with Gorin sometimes, um, giving him coded messages and things. It's really fun. I like it. That. It re- reminds me also of on the show Luther, uh, his foil, Alice Morgan. This yeah, was the Idris Alba yeah. kind of thing. And like when you have a really great detective, you know, it's not just so much to watch him or her solve every 
obscure mystery. It's, it's like good to have mm-hmm. someone who is like an equal. A foil. A foil yeah. yeah, and I loved how Dan said, I don't want to spoil anything for a show that was canceled like a decade ago. That was yeah. a horror, <laughs> by the way. I don't know. But, Maybe people are going to go back and watch this episode because we're, we're plugging it so well. But, but I, I do think the funny thing about these episodes, you know, with Olivia Dabo, a.k.a. Kevin's older sister from The Wonder Years, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, playing the foil for Gorn is that there are just some like formulaic stuff that always happens. Like he's always just like he, he has her number and he's like, I had nothing to do with his wife. Yes, death. you did. You killed her and Larry. Because not only can you zero in on the weakness of a person, but you have the cold blooded willingness to exploit one. You leave them alone. I am free to do as I please for my own reasons, Bobby. Reasons you'll never know. And like it's the same every single time. And in fact, she always does turn out to be. It's very comforting. It's like the macaroni and cheese of the criminal intent part of this franchise, I think. Like she comes back and it's like coming home in some in, in some sense. It certainly is not uncommon for Gorn, like we said, to make these large assumptions. But the library book is suspicious. So <laughs> that leads them to the library. Yep. And the librarian who's not at her desk Wait a minute. What kind is of key pump- changes she have? Key changes she have? <laughs> it has to be her. What kind of librarian gets up in the middle of the day and goes to the bathroom or another floor? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Because obviously if you're a mastermind criminal on the run, the thing that you would do would be, I'm going to go back to New York and be a librarian. Totally. totally. They'll totally. never find sexy, me there. Sexy as hell job for a master criminal. Well, but don't you like the library scene because you can see that Goran's emotionally invested in this psychopath? <laughs> don't don't you yes. think that cuz all the other episodes he does get a little emotional, but it's usually because he's mad that someone's so stupid. Like they're in the <laughs> confession room and he's like, "Ah, oh, you're just I already figured it out because I'm the coolest." And then Let every time <laughs> Wallace comes in, yeah. He's like, I see the six steps you took, and I'm actually proud of you for being so smart. <laughs> but also, I'm mad. I'm mad and sad at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of like, the way well played. Well played. Well played. I hate you, but well played. <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. 
No more three-star restaurants, Rebecca. Because three stars is not a lot of stars. It is not a lot of stars, but it's basically a five-star night every time we have Blue Apron. Mm -hmm. You know, with school starting up, it's real busy around here. Sure is. Especially because we have a German exchange student. He's awesome. We try. Yes, he's great, and he's uh, very low maintenance, and we try to reward him by giving him some of the best food he will have in the U.S. from Blue Apron. I think he's hearing stories from the other German exchange students at the school that, like, they're just getting pizza or whatnot. And then all of a sudden, we're bringing out these super fancy meals. He always seems very surprised and very pleased. Yes. Do you remember how his eyes went wide when he saw the summer vegetable and egg paninis? Yep. With Calabrian chili mayonnaise and caprese salad? Yep. He's like, we don't have these paninis in Germany. Or the garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad and roasted purple tomatoes. So good. So for less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron makes it easy to create delicious seasonal recipes with step-by-step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. Each meal comes with step-by-step, beautiful, easy-to-follow recipe cards. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash order. That's blueapron.com slash order. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. cook. Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Brilliant criminal mind Nicole Wallace is connected to 18 unsolved murders, including that of her three-year-old daughter. When Carver tries to arraign her and send her back to Australia, they learn there's no DNA on the baby, and they won't be able to extradite Nicole. But her luck just keeps getting better because as she's leaving the courthouse, Dr. Evan proposes to her. <laughs> look, this meeting was your idea. It's about Evan and Gwen. Yeah, a husband without a wife, a little girl without a mother. That's convenient for you, isn't it? What's this? Being the best she can be, building your daughter's self-esteem. Wow. You think by reading a book and throwing on an apron, you can approximate being the parent to a child? I mean, that's like an ape trying to eat with a fork and knife. The detective team learns that Evan's first wife died of carbon monoxide poisoning, and Larry had the instruction manual for the faulty water heater in his apartment. They think the Connecticut hotel Evan spent so much time at wasn't a love nest. It was next to a research hospital. Gwen was born with a birth defect caused by an obstetrician's prescription. So the child won a $5 million lawsuit, but the cash would go to the parents if Gwen died. There are no HIPAA laws in the law and order universe, (laughs) so the team very easily finds out that Evan ordered a special strain of estrogen lotion, which would definitely cause Gwen to get tumors. But Gwen tells Gorn and Eames that Nicole got rid of Daddy's special lotion. They also know that Evan has a copy of the autopsy of Nicole's daughter, so it looks like Nicole isn't setting Evan up. Evan knows her evil background and is setting her up. Gorin loudly confronts Nicole in the library, which you're not supposed to do, by the way, (laughs) and convinces the crafty serial killer that she's not very lovable. She agrees to turn on Evan, telling him that they'll find the potassium in his office. Confronted by the thinnest of circumstantial evidence, Evan confesses to working with his brother to kill his wife and daughter for the lawsuit winnings. Meantime, Nicole has run off with Gwen. Days later, the girl is dropped off safely with relatives in Arizona. Nicole has again escaped, but now without leaving an emotional voicemail for Gordon. <laughs> yeah, okay, she so calls him Bobby. We, yeah. Always. Bobby. Yeah, so how do we interpret Bobby. this relationship with Bobby and Nicole? We started on this, but let's yeah. continue this thought. They need to get a fucking room. That's how I <laughs> interpret it. Like, every scene they're in together, right? 
Yes, every every time Eames is around too, she's like, "Oh boy," <laughs> I can feel it. So that's how you know that she's like the audience. Uh, the, the last line of the episode is, uh, "We'll trace the call." Like she already knows that they're not going to find her, and that Goran is disappointed sexually. Yes. Uh, or not? Yeah. I want to tell you my favorite line from the episode when they do confront each other in the library. It's that Nicole says. The worst thing you can do to a child is lie. And I was like, I've seen SVU. There's so many heinous things <laughs> to do to children. There's a whole there's a whole special victims unit. <laughs> lying. You should lying. lie to kids yeah. all the time. So oh, I just wanted to bring that up. No, it's really good. I thought what you were gonna say was the best line was when Nicole says, What? You don't believe that I can like something like I don't I can be a good mother to a child and Goran says to her, That's like an ape trying to eat with a fork and knife. <laughs> like he's so <laughs> mean to her. Like you know that like she probably loves him and is trying to impress him with her mm-hmm. dastardly deeds. Yes. And he is 100% of the time so, like, if in a couple that one of them wasn't a serial killer, someone talked to the other one the way that Goran talks to her, you'd be like, that's Mm -hmm. an abusive piece of shit. Like, he talks to her like (laughs) he's horrible to her. That's what's cool about it is that I don't think he's trying to get her goat. That's an expression I've used all the time. Uh, He doesn't (laughs) seem like he's trying to coax her into doing anything other than cooperating like any other suspect, but he seems to be emotionally distraught about her actions. It looks like he's actually mad at her for trying this and destroying so someone mad. else's life. Yeah. Now, Goran, is, is, apparently he's had enough of the you're a serial killer approach with her. So instead he goes with nobody likes you. Yes. How schoolyard is that? <laughs> you'll, you'll never have a normal life. She does love me. Here you are with a child killer as a boyfriend because the this is the kind of people that you attract because you will never have a normal life. A normal life is not for you, Nicole. When is a good girl with a good heart? She wouldn't. She wouldn't love me if, if, if there wasn't anything good about me. Yeah. You'll never no be a regular you. person. All the other cops say weird yeah. things about you. <laughs> Yeah, it comes off as especially mean. I don't know. Of course, we watched this one episode out of context for this podcast, right? So at this Mm -hmm. point, season five, I'm a devoted weekly criminal intent viewer, which I was Mm -hmm. way back then. At this point, I'm like, yeah, Goran, you go for it. You get him, guy. But now I'm like, it just kind of comes off as sort of mean. Like, I don't like it. I think Nicole seems especially vulnerable in this episode, especially given what happens at the end when she Mm -hmm. does the right thing. And Goran just comes off as kind of a dick. Especially when he's dealing with her. The thing you're missing is in the previous episode that Nicole Wallace is in, just to give you a little summation, is that she pretends to be like a tenured professor and she (laughs) ruins a guy's psyche by just tearing apart his his thesis about like Bob Dylan's influence on American poetry or something like that. <laughs> and she talks behind his back to other professors about how bad it is. And it's really just, it just ruins this man. So I just want to say that's the worst thing you can do to someone. Is- <laughs> <laughs> She's a mean girl. Lie to them yeah. or make fun of their MFA. Yeah, It sounds like a very, very white way to like get, it, get somebody's goat, <laughs> as you would say. <laughs> Yes. But, you know, to finish yes, out, so. like, their relationship together, in the the final time we hear from Nicole Wall, she kills Bobby's brother, Frank. Spoiler alert, 10 yeah, years totally later. Spo- yes, totally spoiling <laughs> this. And then she is killed 
She's murdered herself, and apparently her last words are, tell Bobby he's the only man I ever loved. Ugh. Well, you just went, ugh. It's sloppy. It's Is sloppy that real? That's Is that real? That's real. God. Yeah. It's, According to the well, internet. And by the way, in Luther, there's a very similar thing where like the only time we ever see Alice, she's either literally murdering someone or flirting with Luther. And then like she disappears because of whatever. And the next thing we know, like Luther is like pining for her. And it's like, wait a minute. She actually did murder people. Like, I get she was your intellectual foil. And that's, that's kind of, to me, that's just kind of sloppy. I don't think it should be that ambiguous. I don't actually think Bobby, I, I can't imagine them ever ending up together, right? Right. But, no. Dan, I mean, don't you think a girl is going quite a long way? I'm going to murder your brother to get your attention so you'll like me. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I've done worse. Uh, no, I <laughs> But no, I mean, how embarrassing would it be if she learned a song, learned his favorite song on the guitar? <laughs> and played it for him? That would be mortifying. We've we've established that Nicole is a horrible person. Um, are we really supposed to believe that she loves this little girl? I don't know. I, I don't think she does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dan. I do think she's trying to go into hiding and pretend to be a normal person. Because sh- doesn't she change the lotions? That's sort yes. of the, mm-hmm. did she change it because she was trying to protect this guy who's awful? No. Or did she change the lotions because she cares about the kid and doesn't want the kid to get cancer? And so I feel like she does like the kid. Yeah, and there was a very telling scene where she mirrored Gorin by, she's putting lotion, like first of all, there's this weird scene where the girl gets out of the bathtub and she's like drying her hair with a towel, which that girl's a little too old to be like having her hair dried by an adult. And then she's like, she, she goes to put lotion on the girl and she smells the lotion. And then you realize how much she's just like Gorin because she can also smell an obscure chemical inside of <laughs> Nivea oh. body lotion. Oh, I can smell estrogen. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations yeah. to yeah. you, but I can't. <laughs> anyway, but Nicole basically does that thing where she somehow deduces this from sniffing the girl's Nivea body lotion and switches it out. So, yeah, I mean, at that moment in the episode, I was wondering, was she protecting the girl or was she more setting up the guy? That's where I, I kind of had that question. I think she's protecting her, especially if her daughter had died at a similar age or that it's a redo for her and mm-hmm. she doesn't care that she's just not going to tell anyone about her past she's going to dive in <laughs> and that, that'd be really fun if you were on a date or you're in a relationship and you're just like let's just forget about the past and the other person's like yes and you're like yeah i was talking about the people i slept with in college i didn't realize you were talking about <laughs> you murdered 18 people. And one of them was your own child. <laughs> so, yeah. But come meet my daughter. Yes. Hey, you, you remember the, uh, you know, apparently the money motive here is this lawsuit, and it's a uh, it's a $5 million lawsuit. But mm-hmm. here's a, a little piece of trivia for you. If you look on the computer screen, uh, when they're looking up the case, it says it was a $3 million suit, mm-hmm. and apparently Catherine Irby said it's a, you know, $3 million. And throughout the rest of the episode, it's $5 million. So apparently, according to the internet, NBC didn't catch it the first time it aired. So they had to go back and redub that line to make it $5 Because really? originally it was three Someone made a mistake. It was easier to. It was easier for her to change the one line to five than everybody else's to three. But see, that goes to the magic of like the editing of the Law and Order universe, right? We talk about this all the time that it feels like things that just like ended up on the floor for time, or it feels like they just trust the audience will understand the super obviously illegal thing that Jack McCoy is doing because there was some conversation <laughs> that happened that we never actually saw. 
that doesn't surprise me at all. Like a, a show with more integrity, like a franchise with more integrity. And by the way, I love this franchise, despite the fact that it has almost no integrity. <laughs> they just wouldn't air that episode again. They just wouldn't have actors just like yeah. overdub a thing. To they would cover throw the yeah. whole episode out. Or they would just, you know. They'd this fix, is a Nicole Wallace they, episode. Are you they, bullshitting they, me? They'd like invest a little bit in CGI and like change the screen a little bit or something. They're counting on you looking at your phone while this episode is playing. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're just listening to it anyway. Don't even bother <laughs> changing yeah. her lips saying a different number. Just dub it. Yeah, obviously it was so obvious that I had to tell you two about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, the final horrific clue is a generic bottle of potassium in a doctor's office right. that has his fingerprints on him. So there's absolutely no way to explain that one away. You're no, on. and we also haven't even talked about this dude, like the, the husband, potential husband, mm-hmm. Gwen's daddy dude with the meth mouths. The milk toasty right. guy that we're supposed to believe Nicole chose because he's quote normal mm-hmm. and she'll have a normal mm-hmm. life. This guy is the worst. He's even the worst yeah. when we don't even know he's a bad guy. He's just like super icky. Like his brother Larry, the maybe corrupt building inspector, a hundred times sexier than his brother. I'm just saying, <laughs> this guy was the worst. This is just proof that all doctors are sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> they help people get better, but also, like, why did they get into a job where they'd have to handle cadavers and <laughs> resuscitate people? You have to you have to wonder. It's not every day, like, a Detective Gorn will come along and do that for you. That's true. Hold on, let me check his, let me give him a purple nurple. That's true. Also, like, the whole thing where, like, he's looking for a patsy to blame for his daughter's death. And he just happens to discover that a local librarian has been accused of all these murders. Oh, gosh. Like, good for you, Evan Chappell, that you, like, stumbled upon this. Like, I I really do think, Kevin, that if I were to LexisNexis everyone we know, I'm 100% sure 0% of them would come up in the system as maybe having murdered somebody. Like, that was was good (laughs) luck, right, for him? It was pretty good luck for him, yeah. Yeah, I like uh, a Tinder profile that says, possible murderer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to swipe right. (laughs) Now, remember, they, they pick up this bottle of potassium, and they don't even know it was potassium that killed the guy. Right. Again, they're just sort of going on, wow, this was a really clever thing. (laughs) Right. So, right, it's a bottle of potassium that anybody could get. It's like, ah, oh, surprise. No, I, I that's absolutely right. And also this idea that, like, she is just like, when you go to his office, you'll find this. And Goran shows all of this reticence to follow her plan. And then the minute he gets there, he's like, Dr. Evan, what's up with this bottle in your medicine? It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Just a second ago, you were saying you weren't going to go along with it. What happened in the interstices, Goran? How were you so easily convinced? I'm pretty sure it was her super blonde hair and, like, very doe eyes that got him but i don't know i just don't know how he's able to toe that line and yet be so accusatory and mean to her at the same time men are willing to overlook a lot of stuff Uh, (laughs) you're just super hot patriarchy right (laughs) if she's homicidal she must be great in bed Mm -hmm. now rebecca what did you think of the choice offered to dr chapel by ada carver so fired up courtney b vance says you have a choice dr chapel A certain conviction for your brother's murder or a plea to manslaughter for your wife's death and attempted murder. My wife, the hot water heater, that was all Larry's idea. I just went along. And Gwen? I can always have more children. Here's my answer to that quandary. 
I plead guilty to neither one of those fucking things. Like, that is not a choice that should have been presented that anybody, like, how are you presenting that uh, choice? He's I'm going to I'm gonna pick door number three, yeah, which is no, not guilty. Which is, which is no, because basically what they're saying is they're showing him this bottle, which is not a result of any evidence that has been shown or that he's been, mm-hmm. has not been tied to anything. And they're saying there's this manual in your brother's, like, junk drawer in his kitchen, which clearly says this. So it's either this or this. The answer is, yeah, no, I didn't do either one of those things. What the fuck are you talking about? It's not immediately start confessing to the lesser crime. But that was insane. That was insane. And the answer should have been, let me call my lawyer. The answer is no. He's a rich doctor. He's definitely <laughs> got a lawyer. He's like, is this another malpractice uh, suit? Uh, no, I maybe killed somebody. <laughs> on purpose on purpose this time. <laughs> well i just had this realization as we were all talking about the potassium is that they're heroin junkies couldn't they just shoot the potassium in his arm and they'd be like oh there's a heroin track like they're like oh he did it in the tongue Oh uh, my like, god! Yeah, but what about all these marks on his arm from the heroin use? <laughs> You're totally right, because the reason people shoot up under the tongue is to hide the needle mark, right? Yeah. There's yeah. no reason to put it anywhere else other than his arm, because all those marks were already there. Maybe they couldn't yeah. find a good vein. <laughs> also, like, why wouldn't they just give him a ton of heroin? I mean, I guess heroin <laughs> might be harder to come by. <laughs> But if potassium is only kept around to murder people, I would just keep heroin and be like, yeah, I do heroin. That's, just, That's what I do. Just like, let's time. take away his candy and let nature take its course. Oh, he OD'd just like we thought he would. Really? You know, Dan makes an yeah. excellent point. He should be in that damn writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dan, the, the very last thing we see is Gorn getting this voice message. <laughs> you were right, Bobby. I couldn't take the chance. This is one more thing you've taken from me. So not only is she emotional, but but Gorn appears to be emotional too. He like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he like wipes his eyes or he like rubs his face in a way that he's just like spent. <laughs> yeah, you can never tell if Vincent D'Onofrio is emoting or just very tired. <laughs> Shot this <laughs> early in the morning. <laughs> he's like again, I have to pretend I can hear something on this plastic phone. But the funny thing about that message. <laughs> Is that, first of all, we never talked about the fact that Catherine Irby spends almost the entire episode in a tank top, which is amazing. I just want to make a note of it because anybody who does take the time to go back and watch this because we talked about it, look at her guns. They will blow your damn mind. Number two, (laughs) they are in a different room in the squad, right? They're like Mm -hmm. out there in the area and like they're talking about the case and yada, yada. And this is like this like super loud, like beep, 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 beep noise. And Catherine Irby turns and she's like, you have a message. And I'm like, are you not a fucking major case squad detective? Don't you get messages all the time? Like, is him getting the one message so extraordinary that you both have to run to a different room? But it's so loud. It's like, I wouldn't want to go to the movies with him. (laughs) It's very loud. And it strikes me as extraordinary. They would be surprised that he got that one voicemail that day. Yeah, I I love now. That's what I want to do when I'm out with my friends. And anytime they look at their phone, I'll be like, what is it? What is it? (laughs) Really intensely. All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. Oh, God. It's time for Mm. Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. 
The relationship between Goran and his longtime foil Nicole Wallace parallels that of Sherlock Holmes and Professor Moriarty. In creating his fictional villain, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle drew upon the exploits of several real-life criminals. The most celebrated of these was Adam Wirth. A German immigrant, Wirth was erroneously listed as killed in action during the American Civil War, allowing him to operate under a number of assumed identities. Starting as a pickpocket, Wirth became a proficient bank robber. After a string of hold-ups in Liverpool, he escaped to Paris where he ran an illegal casino. After ripping off a diamond dealer, he moved to London. All the time, Worth was pursued by private detective William Pinkerton. Worth formed a network of criminals to commit heists. He nicked a priceless painting from an art gallery just because he wanted it for his wall. In 1892, he was captured and convicted after a botched robbery in Belgium, but was never charged for his crime sprees through England and America. After his release, Worth returned the painting and told his life story to Pinkerton, who wrote a book about him. Sherlock Holmes referred to Professor Moriarty as the Napoleon of crime, the same phrase Scotland Yard used to describe Adam Worth. So, who here knew that uh, Professor Moriarty had been a real person? That's beautiful. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah, me neither. That's really interesting, actually. Although, stealing art seems very far removed from murdering 18 people, right? <laughs> you mean <laughs> Nicole? But you seem to be... At first, I just love the idea. So I just like that painting, so I'm just going to steal it. It sounds a little bit like Thomas Crown, actually. <laughs> yeah. Not like Moriarty, right? I, yeah, it's like Thomas Crown and like some guys who like steal uh, diamonds uh, in uh, the Italian job and yeah. Dog Day Afternoon all rolled into one guy. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> like that guy. I like these like short guys with like Napoleonic complexes. It's kind of all right. I mean, Nicole yeah. though is like blonde and beautiful, so Moriarty wasn't either one of those things either. I think the comparison to Sherlock Holmes's, you know, female nemesis may be a little bit closer to the mark when it comes to. You're talking about the BBC nemesis? Yeah. Yeah. That's a fictional person, though. <laughs> That's not really ripped from the headlines. Uh, uh, Irene Adler's not real. <laughs> you know, the thing I liked about hearing about like uh, Worth's uh, illegal casino in Paris is it's just like the one in Casablanca where like the roulette tables like would all spin over and there'd be plates and napkins <laughs> on them when the cops would raid them. They'd be like, there's no gambling going on in here. <laughs> Casablanca, Casablanca. That stuff happens 20 miles from us in Manchester, New Hampshire, a.k.a. Manch Vegas, New Hampshire, right? Yeah, the whole world nice. is happy that you pointed that Sorry, right. New Hampshire. Okay, so i got to ask, who's more devious, Adam Worth or Nicole Wallace? Dan, you first. I don't want to give the wrong answer. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> Nicole Wallace because Nicole Wallace, I'm, I'm just assuming that she doesn't want to pay for her crimes. But if the, the Worth guy ever got caught with that painting, I bet he'd be like, yeah, I did that. And that's really great. <laughs> so I feel like he's he's in it for the trophies. And just to be the best criminal. And she's in it because she's psychologically scarred by some horrible thing. And I'm not saying one's more sympathetic than the other. I'm just saying, uh, who would you rather hang out with? Probably still Nicole Wallace, for me, if it's (laughs) her. Yeah, I actually think that Adam Worth sounds more criminal. And here's why. This episode is a rare Nicole Wallace episode because... She cries. She says to Gorn, mm-hmm. as she does in every Nicole Wallace episode, you think I'm capable of that? Or whatever it is that mm-hmm. she says. And like a lot of the other Nicole Wallace episodes, those those scenes where she's crying and pretending to be sympathetic and having good motives, it turns out to all be fake because she's controlling the whole thing all along. 
this is a rare one where she's being played. So as a viewer, I realized at the end of it, like, there is something there that is driven by wanting to be a different person, wanting to have an emotional connection. Like, she does save the little girl's life, and she does get a little teary. And, like, if she were truly a psychopath, like, that's not possible, right? Goran's always, con- like, saying to her, like, you'll never be normal. You'll never be- You're a psychopath. But she isn't because she wants to be better. So I I would rank her a little higher than Mm. this dude who just stole a painting. Yeah, the difference is that she's made up. Yeah, it's true. And the other guy's dead, so it doesn't really (laughs) matter. Yeah, but he's dead, so he may as well be made up, right? Yeah. Hey, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our very special guest, Dan Wilbur. Dan, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me at Dan Wilbur on Twitter, and I have a website. It's just danwilbur.com. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy, and also they can also listen to our other podcast and follow us on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy and Liberty. And Lily Flynn handles promotions. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in, in Crime, crime Media. Media.